superannuation has seen in the last few years, and I think it's a real positive, is that generally I believe Australians are now more engaged with their superannuation. And I think that's due to all facets of our industry, retail funds, industry funds, SMSFs. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 224 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Why an SMSF? Cassie Evans, partner at Findex in Albury, put some thoughts into this question. Cassie leads the Findex Super Specialist Division and recently wrote an article about this very topic. It's interesting, and obviously because I work in the SMSF space, you know, it's something that's close to my heart, and I believe for the right people they're an extremely effective investment structure. And I I was previously a tax accountant, so I come from that side of the fence, if you like, so I'm not coming from the financial planning um, side. So I understand that SMSFs are a product per law and therefore, you know, they fit under the advice piece and whatnot. But in my simple mind, they are really just a structure. You have a company, you have a trust, you have a partnership, you have an SMSF, and that's a structure you can use to invest your retirement savings or and plan for your retirement so that you know you can set yourself up and have a nice retirement down the track. The background to, I guess, me writing this article was I read a lot in the media around how you know, there's a lot of SMSFs being shut down and people are rolling over into industry funds or retail funds and, and those types of funds are continually looking at ways that they can become more competitive with SMSFs around the type of investments and the flexibility they might offer their members, which I think is great because I think that gives Australians a greater range of what they can choose from in their superannuation. But I also felt when I was reading all these articles that it seemed to be, oh, SMSFs, are, they're no good anymore. They're not the thing, you know, industry and retail are. But I think they all have their place. And I think we're very lucky in Australia to have the superannuation system we have when the statistics show how large it is. And I think SMSFs are a really important part of that industry. So I thought, well, I'll sit down and say, well, why is an SMSF a good structure? Not saying industry and retail aren't, just saying I think it still fits the bill. So the type of things that, you know, I talk through there, the ones that tend to come out mostly when you say, you know, why an SMSF versus another structure is... Number one, control. Control and flexibility. So the very nature of what an SMSF is and the definition of it under the CIS legislation says whoever's a member has to be a trustee and whoever's a trustee has to be a member. So it means you have to be close and involved and make decisions in regard to your fund. So you have that more direct control over what you're investing in, when you're investing it, when you buy, when you sell, what those sort of things, who you use if of your financial advisor, all of those bits. And then the flexibility as well, you know, when you're on a pension in an SMSF, well, I might take a drawing out today and then I might take another one out tomorrow, whereas that's potentially not as easy in the, the industry and retail funds. So they control and flexibility tend to be two words that flow easily when it comes to SMSFs. Number two, increased engagement. But I think there's much more than that. I think um, one of the, the key ones for me that 
maybe SMSF has made this superannuation industry sit up and take them into notices, it's actually, I think, helped Australians to take an increased engagement with their superannuation. And that can only be a good thing. Whether they choose to use an SMSF or not, at least if they're looking at it, they're thinking about their super and they're thinking about their retirement savings and their plannings. That's a good point because I think for many people, super is like this black hole that yeah. money goes in mm. and they're not really sure what happens with it. Yeah. Whereas when you have an SMSF, you, I think, maybe more feel aware, a lot more engaged. Yeah. yeah, even if it's as simple as you get the bank statements for the super fund month and go, oh, there's my... Whereas, you know, I have two young adult children who are both working and have their superannuation being paid by the employer. If I said to them, how much have you got in superannuation or what's it invested in or what insurance have you got in your superannuation fund, I think they'd look at me blankly and say, really? <laughs> like, and I think, and I don't know whether it's going to help, you know, 18 and 19-year-olds take more notice of their super, but if it does help Australians to be more interested and um, more involved in their superannuation... I think that can only be a good mm. thing. For, and I for think us. with an SMSF, it feels more like it's yours. Yeah. Whereas when it's in a super fund, yep. it feels more like it belongs to somebody else. Yeah. I mean, with having an SMSF comes you know, great responsibility as well because you have the obligations being a trustee and whatnot. And they're not, there's no one size fits all. They're not for everyone. We would see regularly where we would have clients come and want to set up an SMSF and put their money across from their other funds. We also see the other way, you know, where they might ring up and say, look, I've had an SMSF for 10 years, um, but I think I'm going to close it down and put my money into an industry or a retail fund because I just don't want to be worried about having that day-to-day -day involvement. Happy with this type of return. I'm happy for someone else to sort of take that responsibility. So it is about understanding each person saying, well, what is it that I'm looking for? and therefore what structure best suits me. Number three, ease of making contributions. You know, some other aspects of is what I see some potential benefits of an SMSF is your timing of your contributions. So, you know, if I'm putting my own personal contributions into super, I can put them into my super fund every day of the week if I want to, whereas if, if they're going into an industry and retail fund, there's just more of a process to do that. So, you know, if I want to put money into my super fund today, I go down to the bank and I put it into the super fund. Yeah, you don't even have to go to the bank. You just yeah, open your electronically laptop. and and off you go. But you know, I don't have to fill out any paperwork. I don't have to ask someone. I don't have to ring up. I don't have to jump on a website. I just go to the bank and say transfer that money from there to there. So, Although yeah. I think that is similar to an industry fund. Sorry to yeah. contradict you, but I think when you're in an industry fund, you're given a certain BSB and account number and ID, and then you can also transfer whenever you yeah, and like I to. It, I'm not saying... But, of course, yeah, it's more complicated. This is not you a compare... Yeah, you have to make sure 100% that they know that it's from you and not from Mrs. Smith, you know, who has... All of that. Yeah, yeah. and I just... Uh, the idea of my article, and I was very clear in it, was not to do a, you know, SMSFs are the best and the others aren't, and it wasn't a compare and contrast and go, this, you know, I can do this but you can't do that. This Consider. is actually... Do you realise you can do this with your SMSF? And you may be able to do the same thing in a lot of cases with your other industry or your other funds, your industry or retail mm. funds as well. So I didn't go and research those and say, can, do they allow you to do daily transfers of contributions or do they allow you to, what do they get you to do in regard to estate planning documentation mm. or whatever it might be. But, but I know I, how SMSFs work. And I go, yeah. you know, does everyone else know that these are the things that you yeah. can do and how easy it can be? 
Number four, pooling of funds. Your pooling of your your members. So one of the benefits of an SMSF is you can have up to four members. Mostly we tend to see them with two, but you get to pool the assets of the you know husband and wife in most cases and then invest those. When you're in your own fund, it's your money and your money gets invested wherever you, you know, tick what you want, what type of investments you want. So, you know, sometimes you can just get better value by being able to invest a larger amount through pooling two, three or four people's money. So that's that's one for people to aware to, to just achieve some greater scale. Number five, estate planning. Estate planning. So estate planning gives the same options as industry and retail super funds with respect to you can put death benefit nominations in place, reversionary pensions in place. I think the piece where I see an advantage in an SMSF is particularly if you work in with a legal advisor who knows knows estate planning and knows how superannuation funds work, it can be a really good tool to increase your flexibility for how you distribute your super to relevant beneficiaries. So I guess where I'm heading there is you might have a fund that has a property in it, has shares in it, has cash, whatever, and you might say, right, within my super, that property is going to that beneficiary. The shares are being split between those two beneficiaries and the cash is going to that one. So you can actually pick even types of investments to to go out as part of your estate planning. And I've seen that happen Mm. quite effectively. As I said, and I'll reiterate, I'm not saying that can't be done in industry and retail funds because I don't know, but I know it can be done in an SMSF. So it can add some really good flexibility and options around your estate planning. Number six, direct investments. You've got your specific investment options, and this is an area I think that the other funds have really improved on. So, you know, clearly in um, SMSFs, you can go into direct property, residential, commercial, you know, a lot of circumstances where the SMSF holds the property that the business runs from and there's a lease in place between the related party and the SMSF. So that can be a really effective strategy. Unlisted investments, we see a, a, I'm seeing a lot of activity in investments into unlisted trusts, unlisted companies. There's rules and regulations around that and you need to make sure that your clients are well educated, but it's a really gives a lot of options. You can go into the rules have tightened up, but things like collectibles, so your artwork, your wine, those sorts of things. I see funds that are invested in gold and silver bullion. So in an SMSF, you can invest into specific assets. Correct. You can buy a specific commercial property and that is your SMSF. Correct. Or you can invest in a specific unlisted investment or yes. a specific artwork, whereas when you are in a retail or industry fund, you can just invest into managed funds. I think they are becoming more flexible around their type of investments because they know that a lot of reason why people move into SMSFs is around going into property, going into these things. I still don't think they're as flexible, I'm happy yes. to be proven wrong, as SMSFs are in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, people again think, oh, yeah, I can go into property in my SMSF, but they probably don't realise that they can also go into... Unlisted know, securities. Unlisted securities, direct into international assets, those sorts of things. Mm. Do you find that the ability to invest directly in property is the one key driver for people setting up their SMSF? Among my clients, it is. It's one of the key ones, without a Mm. doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, when people come and say, oh, 
We want I've, to buy our I, business premises. Yeah, I and want to set up an SMS there for me. Go, well, tell me about where, like, what are you, where are you coming from? What are you thinking? And not all, but a lot of them will be yeah. around going directly into property. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly a big factor. Number seven, acquisitions from related parties. Acquisition of assets from related parties is another one. So there's, again, specific rules around what you're allowed to do, but your commercial property is a perfect example where... Or listed securities. Or listed securities, yeah, and they're the two key ones that you can have, but you, you're able to actually yeah, buy them. So you say, I've got this property in my own name, I run my business from it. Gee, it'd be great if I could put that into my superannuation, that becomes part of my retirement planning. Can I do that? Yes, as long as you tick all the criteria. There's obviously considerations like stamp duty and capital gains tax and whatnot, but that can be a really effective strategy. Well, that yeah, that's a real positive for SMSFs to be able to do that. And the listed securities one is one I do see all the time where people will have shares in their own name and um, sell them across or transfer them in as an in-specie contribution into their superannuation fund, and it's you know, a really effective strategy. Number eight lease of property to related parties. Probably talked about the next one a bit and that is the lease of your business real property to your related party, so where you, you run your business out of the property that your super fund owns. And, yeah. that's a, and I think that's a very popular, popular one. Yeah. And it also means that, yes, the rent has to be at market value, but market value is usually not one specific amount. It is a yeah. range and hence it gives you the ability to get a little bit more money into the fund than you would otherwise yeah if you paid rent I mean, at arm's length you, yeah you, i mean it, if you paid rent to a third party provider yeah, you have to pay it at arm's length and we're very clear with our clients around what the requirements are there so you have to get your property appraised as a minimum every 3 years for what the value is and also the lease have a documented lease in place and pay the lease in accordance with the terms. So we talked earlier when we were talking about the safe harbour provisions of, you know, monthly, if the lease says the rent has to be paid monthly, then pay it monthly. You know, it might be a three-year term where the, on each anniversary it's a CPI increase, do your CPI calculation, increase it, and then at the end of the third term get another appraisal and say what's the current rent. Yeah, it's a, it's a certainly a way of getting extra money into super because you, you're putting your contributions in on the one hand and then you're putting rent in on the other, which is an earning on your on your investment. So it would be one of the most popular strategies we see and works really effectively and then, you know, tends to get to the other end where the clients then retire. Obviously the decision is, well, do we leave the property in there? Is it giving us enough cash flow to pay pensions and things like that? Or is, you know, they may sell the property with the business and that then gives them a big, nice chunk of cash in the super fund to head into their retirement on. So that's a really, really effective one. Number nine, agility of investments. Another point is, and again, I'm not saying this doesn't happen in retail and industry, but that within your SMSF, there's ability to switch investments in quite an agile way. So, you know, if I'm sitting here today and in my fund I have listed shares and I decide I want to sell BHP and buy Westpac, well, I can do that when I, you know, as I choose to do that. Now, again, not saying you can't do that in the industry and retail funds, but I know within an SMSF, you know, that's my call as the trustee and easy to do. So you can be quite agile on that process. Number 10, flexibility of pension payments. I think I touched base earlier on this one quickly, but when you get to that point of having access to your superannuation and you're drawing down, so you're on pensions or or whatnot, you know, 
you have a minimum pension you have to draw, but you can draw that however and how often you want to. If you want to take larger amounts, you can. So, you know, we'll often have clients might ring up our financial advisors and say, look, we're going on a holiday. Um, We need $20,000 to pay for the holiday. Yeah, no worries. We'll organise that and get it transferred across into your personal bank account. So, you know, you can have your regular amounts coming in or you mm. can... And, and in a lot of cases, you don't even have to call anybody. You just... Um, or you can go, go and transfer on it yourself. online banking and transfer Correct. the yeah. cash out yeah. of the uh, SMSF bank account into your personal bank Correct. account. Yeah, it's as simple as, as doing it that way. But it's also an easy pitfall. For example, when you are no longer allowed to make contributions and by accident you transfer the money. <laughs> All of that. Yeah. Electronic banking is great, isn't it, until it yeah. doesn't work. But, yes, oh, look, everything that you know there's a lot of rules around having an smsf and that's i think the key thing that anyone who's looking at one needs to really do their homework and understand well what am i taking on what's the responsibility and obligations i'm taking on as a trustee who can and who should i get to help me along the way you know do i need an smsf advisor do i need a financial advisor do i need to talk to my solicitor you know if i've got property do i talk to someone from a real estate point of view or um, do i feel i'm across all of that stuff enough that I'll do it myself, but do it within the law. So it's it's really making sure that it is something that works for you and you go into it with your eyes wide open. And it's not for everyone. Number 11, maintaining accumulation and pension accounts. Continuing on, so within an SMSF, you can maintain both accumulation and pension accounts. So you can get to that point down the track where you're retired or turn 65 or you satisfied a condition of release. And you might say, well, I want to start a pension on so much of my balance, but I'm also wanting to leave some in accumulation. And I'm still working, so I want to be able to keep putting money in. So you can actually, on one hand, be putting money in and on the other hand, be taking it out. And so that's easily set up within an SMSF. Number 12, capital gains tax planning. Capital gains tax planning. So if you have assets within an SMSF and they get sold, as with any other tax entity, it incurs a capital gain then there's a capital gains tax. If you've held the asset for longer than 12 months, that's effectively a rate of 10%. But you can also plan ahead as to when you might sell that investment and around when you might have commenced pensions, for example. So there's some planning strategies there to that can be tax effective. Mm. Talking just very quickly about CGT, I know it's a little bit off topic, but when you move related party assets into the SMSF, then you have a CGT event with the original yeah, in, owner. In the, in the other entity, yes. yes. And that one is not exempt or anything. You you face the CGT at oh, the time you transfer you'd, the... You'd have to... I mean, it, it might be exempt, of course, thanks to the uh, small business yeah, CGT concessions or yeah, exempt yeah. thanks to the 50% discount, yeah. but it is just as if you were selling the asset. Correct. It's the same as if you were selling it to an external person. Yes. Yeah. But I think where there is potentially an exemption is with respect to stamp duty. I think when you move real property from individual name into the SMSF, then I think there's potentially an exemption of stamp duty in... in I, th- I think the key thing there, Heidi, is getting advice and understanding what state you're in. So I deal mainly with Victoria and New South Wales, and, yeah, I think you're right, there's certain... If you sit, tick certain criteria, then you, you may be able to get stamp duty exemptions. But it's, yeah, to you just got to make sure you don't assume that's what's going to happen because it might be, well, what's the current structure that the invest or the assets owned in? 
and who, who are the members of yeah, the super fund. Yeah, they might be hate in a company or something. Yeah, all of those things. Mm. But there's certainly the potential that you could have some stamp duty exemptions. And when you're looking at these transactions, say transferring your business property into your super fund, they're all the key things you look at. Can we do it? What's the market value? How are we going to pay for it? Is it a in-specie contribution or have we got cash in the fund? What's the stamp duty implications? What's the capital gains tax implications to the seller? What legal documentation do we need to put in place? Like there's all, it's almost like a checklist of, okay, now we know exactly where we stand. Yes, we're going to do it. Or no, that's not what I want to do. Mm. And you also, instead of selling, it might be an in-specie contribution. It could be, or a mix of. It can actually be a mix of cash and in-specie. Mm. And that. depending on whether it's a sale or an in-specie contribution, stamp duty exemptions might, all be, those things. might be different. Yep. But coming back to your point, yep. Yep. yes, CGT might be, exempt well when you move into pension mode in superannuation the earnings on the pension portion of your fund and it's it's changed a bit since the super reforms in 30 june 17 where we're maximized to the 1.6 million dollar cap but if you have a fund that you know let's say each member's got 1.5 million dollars they both start pensions then their fund would then be seen to be a 100 tax-free entity so if it sells an asset and makes a capital gain, then, yes, it's made the gain, but it's fully exempt pension income, so therefore it pays no tax on the gain. So it's all around understanding your structure and getting your timing right. Yeah. Number 13, investment strategy. Next one is the ability, and this has been in the, um, the media a lot lately, but the ability to develop and maintain a specific type of investment strategy. So there's been all the media and the the letters sent out by the ATO around investment strategies and make sure you are documenting and you know you if you're not diversifying why and, and and documenting all of that but I think we've got to understand the positives of it is that if I have an SMSF as long as I'm doing it within the the law I can have a very flexible and specific investment strategy that suits me it doesn't have to be you know, listed shares and managed mm. funds, you know, my interest might be in different types of assets. As long as I document within my investment strategy, I can do that. But I think an SMSF gives you that ability to yeah, develop and maintain an investment strategy that suits you. Yeah, the key mas message from the ATO is make sure you're documenting why. And I think that's a good thing. Do you think anything has come out of this letter? I mean, have you seen issues with auditors or oh. similar or was it more just the ATO putting the issue on the table but nothing much coming out of it apart from awareness? Oh, I think it's created a lot of awareness. I think it has prompted a lot of conversations, which is good. I know we're having conversations with clients and making them aware of their responsibilities and ensuring that their investment strategies meet the criteria. There's nothing in anything that the ATO came out with that said having 100%, for example, of your assets in a fund in one type of investment is wrong. It's not. It's not against the law. But just document why. That's what a responsible trustee should be doing anyway. So I think it just brought that to, to light. Auditors are certainly more aware. There's no doubt we're getting more questions. Again, no problem with that. It's about making sure your clients are educated And this is part of, if I'm going to be a trustee of an SMSF, this is actually part of my responsibility. So I think it's been a good thing. Number 14, structuring family wealth. I mentioned earlier, you know, I come from the tax background and I simply see an SMSF as part of your family group structure. So within your family group, you, you might have a company, you might have a trust, 
whatever, and you have an SMSF. So it can be an important part of that whole family structure and the planning of, you know, where are we now? Where are we going to get to? What's our plans of how we build our super up for our retirement? So it just becomes part of your whole family group. Number 15, personalised advice. From an SMSF point of view, you know, you go and get your advice from your your accountants, your financial plan or whatnot. You're dealing face-to-face, one-on-one on your specific superannuation and your balance and, you know, not a, just a member number within a larger fund. But, again, that's horses for courses and what suits people. Number 16, lower fees. Your personalised service, if you're using advisors, generally I find in SMSFs and certainly in the ones I deal with, the fees on the that are paid to your advisors are not linked to your account balance. They're based on well, what's the advice you've received, what assistance do you require, those sorts of things. Hence it makes more sense the higher your greater balances. Greater efficiency as your balance increases. And, you know, we've seen many times over the years, I think the ATO guidance, I don't know what it is now, but it was, you know, you really should have a minimum of 200000 in super before you consider an SMSF. That's purely around a cost base because generally it costs, you know, at least as much if you have that in as it does if you've got it in an industry or retail fund. But, yeah, there's no doubt as your balance goes up, you have a, go back to my example before, a fund with $3 million in it, from a cost perspective, you would generally find that it would be less costly to have that run within an SMSF than in a different type of fund. Again, depends on what you're doing and how much advice and whatever you're getting. But, yeah, as a general rule, you're not going to be paying as much. That were probably the key points, but I'll probably go back to the one of the first ones that I think that superannuation has seen in the last few years, and I think it's a real positive, is that generally I believe Australians are now more engaged with their superannuation, and I think that's due to all facets of our industry, retail funds, industry funds, SMSFs. So I think that's a great thing, but I think all have their place, and you know, if we continue to improve the system and make it more robust, that can only be good for everyone. Welcome back. So these are 15 factors to consider when deciding whether an SMSF might work for you or your client or not. In the next episode, episode 225, Cathy Evans will answer three SMSF questions about commutations, the deductibility of SMSF expenses and the SMSF lookup feature. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.